Praise the Lord. Let's just take a minute to trust God and let's just commit this time into the Lord's hands. Father God, we thank you, Lord Father, for this privilege you have given us where we can gather together as your children, ready to study from your word, Lord Father. Father God, the first institution you established on this earth after you created this earth was marriage, Lord. And Father God, we ask that you establish it in the lives of every one of us here, Lord Father. Father God, I pray, Lord, that we will not look to the world, but we will look to your word, Lord Father. Father God, even as we discuss, share and elaborate more, I pray, Lord, that you will give us an understanding mind, an understanding spirit, and a willingness to make changes where changes are needed. We commit this time into your hands, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Early this morning, uh, I gave a small questionnaire to the couple of people who had come in early. Okay, so those who came in early got those questions and I just asked them to answer it. And I thought we would start off by looking at that. The question I asked the brothers was this. What are the two most important characters you expect in your wife? I could ask this question to any one of you here. What are the two most important characteristics you expect in your wife? And this is a series of answers that I received. Now, you don't need to take photographs of this because the PowerPoints will be sent across to you. They will be on the website. You can take them at any point of time. So, we don't need to use our mobile phones to take photographs. Anyway, these are some of the things. Three of the people had answered that they expect love. One person had written, care for me and children. Integrity. Two people wrote, truth and honesty. Understanding. Submission to me, two people. One person wanted his wife to be more cheerful. Understanding. Practice wisdom. Communicative. Spend time with me. Cook delicious non-vegetarian food. <laughs> Spiritual. God-fearing. Somebody recognize submission to God. Cooperative. Think as I do. Be my supporter. A good listener, three people. Godly, respectful, and be my prayer partner. This is just a selection out of some of you this morning. I'm sure if I open this out to the rest of you, you will all have things that you would like to say as the characters you would like to see in your wife. I asked a similar question to a select group of sisters also. And this is what I got. Now, when I started putting it down on the uh, computer... I realized that most of the men had actually written uh, one-word answers or three-letter answers, three-word answers. So it was easy for me to put them into two columns. But when the sisters wrote, they wrote essays. <laughs> so you see what they have written. Godly husband who loves the Lord, two people. Loves me as... Christ love the church, spend more time with children, listen more and speak less, <laughs> time management, somebody wanted the husband to set his priorities right, to be understanding and supportive, a very prayerful man, prioritizing God and family above all other things, should love me unconditionally, and then of course it continues, I had to go to a second page. The most thing I expect is fear of the Lord. Take decisions and responsibility in all family matters. To be a spiritual leader, especially with the family altar. To fulfill God's plan and purposes in action. To create an atmosphere of a leader or head at home. Husband should have a Christ-like nature. Be organized in all things. And then, of course, there were the one-word answers written by a couple of them. Communication. Understanding, patience, needs to be gentle, love and care, and prayerful. Okay, so these were a selection of answers that I got from uh, the brothers and sisters that I had asked this question to. 
Now, over the next 50 minutes, that's the time I have, I have to deal with these three areas. Men and women are different. The roles of husband and wives, conflicts in marriage, part one. Okay, uh, Pastor Lakin will deal with part two. So I'm going to go straight into, let's go to men and women are different. Okay? We know that men and women are different physically. We, we appreciate that. We know it very well. I don't want my wife to look like me. No man wants his wife to look like he, like himself. You know, your wives are different physically. But there are a lot of other differences also which are there in our thinking, in our attitude, in the way we are made up. And these are biblical. These are, I'm not taking these examples from the world. I'm just looking at it from a biblical perspective. And you will find that there are differences. And very often the conflicts in marriage actually boil down to the fact that we don't know what these differences are. You see, one person had written, I want my husband or wife to think as I do. That is not possible. Men cannot think as women. Women cannot think as men. Let's understand that. Okay. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Actually, I would encourage you, when you get back home, read Ephesians from 4 onwards, chapter 4 onwards, because it is a build-up towards the crucial verses that are often quoted. Wife, submit to your husband. Husband, love your wife. Those are the verses that we climax on. Okay, but the whole story actually starts in Ephesians chapter 4, or even earlier. But I'm just going to start with Ephesians chapter 5. Verses 21 to 26. Now, I'd, I'd, I'd like to take verses 1 and 2 also. 1 and 2 states, Imitate God. In ev- Therefore, in everything you do, because you are His dear children, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered Himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So, 21 to 26, it says this. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, please note verse 21. It is, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then comes the oft-quoted verses, For wives, now I'm using the New Living Translation version, verse 22 says this, For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Verse 25, For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her, to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. And then we'll jump to verse 33, where it says, So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, And the wife must respect her husband. So if I was to summarize these verses, what you see on the screen is the summary. Imitate God in everything you do. That's verse 1 and 2. And in verse 2 it also has, live a life of love. That is expected of every believer. It doesn't matter whether you are a male or a female. It doesn't matter whether you are a husband or a wife. You are expected to love, live a a life of love. You are also expected to give thanks for everything, however difficult the situation might be. And then, husbands and wives, we are expected to submit to one another. And then Paul goes on to re-emphasize certain things. He says, wives... Submit and respect your husbands. Now, why does he say this one? We'll come to that. Because that is the 
that is the area which men try to force upon their husband, wives. And the second thing is husbands, this is what Paul teaches us, husbands love her, make her holy and be sacrificial. Because that's what Christ did. But we shouldn't forget that the whole context of this writing by Paul is in the context of Christ and the church. So we do not divorce Christ and the church from the husband and the wife. We have to relate it. So as Christ loved the church, husbands love your wife. Why did Christ love the church? To make her pure and holy. Husbands love your wife. Make her pure and holy. Christ gave his life for the church. Husbands, be prepared to give your life for your wife. You see, it, it goes into that kind of a depth. But then we need to elaborate on this a little more. Now, it was not just Paul who spoke about this. Because a little later you find Peter saying the same thing. And if you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, you get a very similar perspective of the other pillar of the New Testament church. Peter. And this is what he says in 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 1 to 7. Wives, sorry, in the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourself instead with the beauty that comes from within. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters when you do that. Do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. Verse 7. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding. As you live together, she may be, the, may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. Very similar thing Peter's talking about. To what Paul is saying, he's giving certain definitive roles to women and certain definitive roles to men. And he says you need to go the whole gamut. You don't just take part of it and say, this is what the Bible says, women, you better do this to me. Or the women can't go around saying that this is what you need to do. What about the rest of it? You've got to read the full picture. It's an all or none law. And so if you were to summarize that, what you get is this. For the wives, accept the authority of your husband. Live godly, pure, reverent lives. Have an inward, God-given, unfading beauty. Inward. Have a gentle and quiet spirit and trust God. For the men, for the husbands, honor your wives. Treat your wives with understanding. Dwell with them with understanding. And treat her well. If you start looking, maybe at our own marriages, or we know of couples whose marriages you can now use as an example to yourself, you will see that the major problem that lies is actually trying to follow this. Because what the woman has to do is actually related to her attitude. Accept the authority of husband is an attitude. I've got to change my attitude inside. Women, you've got to put it into you that the attitude you need to have is you will accept the authority of your husband. To live godly lives and reverent lives is an attitude. To have an inward and not outward 
Beauty is an attitude. Because nobody can see instantly your inward beauty. To have a gentle and quiet spirit is an attitude. But for men, it's not about the attitude. Because you will see that men actually don't have much of a problem with attitude. It's a problem of action. Frankly, we men are lazy. We are simply lazy, to be frank. We need to honor our wives. It's not an attitude. It's an action. You need to do something for her. You need to gift her. You need to, you need to take her out. It's an action. You need to do something for her. You need to treat your wives with understanding. You need to listen to her. You need to understand her point of view. You've got to dwell with understanding. It's not about your attitude there. It's about how you cope with the situation. And you need to treat her well. What does, how does she like to be treated? Does she like to be treated as a doormat? A servant maid? Your washing machine? Your pressure cooker? Your baking oven? Or does she like to be treated like a queen? Treat her. Men, it's up to you. So for men, the problem, we need to change our action. We need to move from laziness to action. For women, it's a change of attitude. You've got to change the way you think. If you want to have godly marriages, it boils down to this. Attitude and action. Now, these are the teachings that we get from what Paul and Peter have told us. But they get, this, they get their teaching right from the beginning, because we can get this teaching in Genesis. So let's go to Genesis. Okay, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. And keep the Bible open at Genesis, because that's where we're going to stick for the next 20 minutes. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 says this, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils and the man became a living person. Now chapter 2 is actually an elaboration of verses from chapter 1. Chapter 1 is like an introductory summary chapter. It says this is what God did. Day 1, day 2, day 3, day 4, day 5, day 6, day 7 and everything was good and everything was very good. Okay, but then chapter 2 onwards goes the elaboration of some of the things of chapter 1. Okay, so here it is in chapter 2, verse 7, man comes into existence. Okay, the male of the species comes into existence. Let's go on to verses 15 to 23. The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden. Except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But still, there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to sleep, to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is born from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. Now let's pause for a minute and go back in time. Visualize something. God created man from dust and man became a living being. God decided that man needed a helper to help him. KJV describes it as a help meet for him. NIV says a helper suitable for him. New Living Translation says a helper who is just right for him. 
This is God's plan. God put man into a deep sleep and then took out a rib that he shaped into a woman. Okay, now please follow me carefully. Assume that I'm that first man. I'm pretty ancient, so it's okay. Okay. God put me to sleep. He took a rib out of me. He didn't replace it. He just closed the flesh over it. That's what the Bible tells us. What he took out of me, he never replaced. What he took out of me, he made into woman. He didn't take the whole of me to make into woman. But out of that rib, he made woman. He took something out of me. So I am deficient as a man. I am incomplete. I was complete. But God decided he, that I needed a helper. So he took something out of me. He never replaced that. Well, it's not right to say he never replaced it. He didn't replace it the way we would expect. I didn't get anything back there. Instead, he took that bone, made it into a woman. That woman is made out of a small part of me. There's a lot of me that is not in her. And therefore, what is in me is not in woman. What I'm left with, I've lost that one rib. That's what became a woman. What is in me is not in woman. Because God left that in me. What he has made a woman out of is not in me. So I cannot be a woman. And a woman cannot be a man. It is not right for a man to think as a woman because he does not have any characteristics of a woman in him. And a woman should not expect to think like a man because there are no characteristics of a man in her. But the interesting thing is this. When do I become complete again? I'm deficient, right? When God brings the woman that he created out of my rib and brings her back to me, and she becomes flesh of my flesh, and we become one. That's when I become a complete human being once again. So for every one of you here, if you think as a, as a man or as a woman that you are complete, you are sadly mistaken. The person sitting with you, hopefully is your wife or your husband, That person and you together now is the complete being. And that is why what God has put together, let not man separate. Because it was God's intention from the beginning of time that man should be a complete being. But in order to make me a complete being, after having taken out something from me, he had to give me a, a woman he chooses. It's not a woman I choose, it's a woman he chooses and brings into my life. And for every one of us, if we believe that our marriages are God-ordained, if God has brought that spouse, the husband or the wife, into your life, it simply means that you become complete only when that person is there with you. If that person is not there with you, you are actually incomplete. So let's analyze that. From the Man God created, he took out something which he never replaced. And when God created woman, he left something in the man that he didn't put in the woman. Okay, so our conclusion is that what God took out of man, he never replaced. Therefore, man cannot be the same as woman. What God left, left in man, he did not put in woman. Therefore, woman cannot be the same as man. Basically, men and women are different. Husbands and wives are different. You become one in a godly marriage. Now, interestingly, you find that actually science corroborates this. 
And let me just give you some examples. Quickly. There was a guy called Paul, Paul Mobius in the year 1903. He dug up bodies in graveyards. And he measured the volume of male skulls and female skulls. And he found that the male skull was actually 8% per, 8 bigger compared to a female skull. Further studies done in various universities over periods of time have shown that the overall size and the volume of the brain, of the male brain, is 8% more than that of the female brain. Okay, it doesn't stop there. It goes on to say that the various studies have gone on to show that because of the way the male brain is made and the way the female brain is made, and Pastor alluded to it when he said that what's the ideal age for marriage, you find that women actually mature faster. They are better at complex thinking. They are better at multitasking. And they have definitely increased communication skills. The connections between the two halves of the brain are better in women. You know, it amazes me when I see women at home cooking, one hand in the pot of biryani, okay, one year listening to Joyce Mayer on the TV, the mouth giving me instructions to make sure whether my son is studying or not, okay, this year is on the other phone, talking to her friend. And I, at the same time, she's thinking of something else. Now, I have no clue how five things are running in her mind at the same time. I can't let one thing run through my mind. This is multitasking. Women can do that. My boss in the office is a woman and she has big problems in understanding why I can't do two things at the same time. I say, you've given me a task, let me finish this, I'll give it back to you, then take that. No, 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 take both and do it. I can't do both. I just can't do both. I'm not a multitasker. My brain is not wired for multitasking. But women are. And all of you sisters here do that. You take, you take care of your kids, the little babies, the cooking is going on simultaneously. Everything is going on. You know exactly when the washing machine has stopped. Okay? You know exactly when, uh, you know, whatever next needs to be done. Everything. That's complex thinking. Multitasking, you can do it. And obviously you're much better at communication. You're prepared to talk, talk and talk all the time. Men have actually got slight greater separation between the two halves of the brain. So the connection between the left half of the brain and the right half of the brain is less. And therefore, there's more fluid collection in the brain. That is a buffer. That buffer allows men to be into more aggressive sports. That's why if you look at American football, you will think that these are barbarians. I mean, that's what I think when I look at uh, uh, the TV and I see these guys running at each other and then using their head and butting into each other. I said, what crazy guys? Buy the guy 11 balls and give them each. Let them have it. Why not? Okay. But you see, men are into aggressive sports. Because they have certain amount of physical protection of the brain, they can manage it. They are better at skill-based activities. Why? Because there is no cross-connections in the brain. You're given a task, you're able to do that and do it well. Single task at a time, they do it better. Unitasking is a capacity for men. But they have a decreased communication ability. Most men communicate by grunting. Those of you who have got boys and girls, children, you will know that when you ask a question to your son, he'll say, oh. <laughs> when you ask the same question to your daughter, you'll have to tell her, okay, okay, thank you, I've, I've heard you enough. <laughs> That's there in our brains. It's just the way we are. Now let's go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 
15 to 20. The Lord God placed man in the Garden of Eden to, be, to tend, to watch over it, but the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of its fruit, you are sure to die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky and all the wild animals. But still there was no helper just right for him. You see, God created man and gave him a job. That's the first thing God gave the man. He was expected, Adam was expected to tend the garden, divide and name the animals, and look after God's creation. And whatever he named the animals and the birds and the fish and whatever, God said it is good. Those were the names that were there. He had to stop the lion from fighting with the kitten. They were all living in the same garden, by the way. There were no problems. But... He had to push the lion to one side, he had the cat to go that side, he had to move the rabbits to another side. He had to take care. He had to make sure the water was, there were four rivers in the Garden of Eden. He had to make sure that the rivers were all flowing properly. He was given a job. There was no woman. Because woman was, woman was not yet created. It was only Adam who was there. And Adam was just given a job by God. Okay, so... Obviously, in this creation, there's a period of time between the creation of man and the creation of woman. So, as man was doing his tasks given to him by his father, God, who was probably coming to him every day and talking with him and chatting and having a cup of coffee and going. Okay, God realized that Adam was developing his skills. He was becoming result-oriented. He was becoming good at problem-solving. God said, here's the problem, Adam solved it. God said, I need this to be done, Adam did it. So he was result-oriented. And that's why men tend to be problem-solvers and result-oriented people. We get a task, we break it down into pits and say, how do I solve this problem? Take it piece by piece and solve the problem. But because we did not, Adam did not have to deal with another human being at that point of time, there was no personal relationship between him and his issues. So whatever he dealt with, he dealt with in an impersonal manner. But then God said, okay now, this guy is skilled. This guy knows the job. This guy knows to solve problems. But there's one thing lacking in him, and that is character. He's just grunting like the lion and the tiger. Okay, I need to give, develop in him the attitude of proper character. So for character, you need to have somebody of your same type. Your character actually develops only when you are with another human being. Not when you are with your cats and your dogs. And so, God said... I'm going to bring somebody. And he brings Eve into the picture. So Eve comes, God brings Eve to Adam, and the first person Eve meets with is Adam. She did not have to take care of the flock, she did not have to take care of the garden, she did not have to see whether the fruits were ripe to be plucked or whatever. She just came there and stands in front of Adam. And therefore, her, her relationship with issues is personal. Because whatever she sees, her first thing that she made contact with was Adam, a person. And so she deals with everything at a personal level. You know, you can say something to a man, guy's not bothered. Kaliwali. You say a very similar thing to a woman, she takes it personally. He hurt me. I didn't say anything to hurt you. He doesn't love me. Well, 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 we, we didn't even talk about love. What are you talking about? He doesn't care for me. Because 
she takes everything personally. For her, everything is about interpersonal relationship. And that is why women are good talkers. Because to maintain good interpersonal relationship, you need to be good communicators. So men, we have got to understand that me- women take everything personally. You tell them, son, why is this chair not proper? He doesn't love me, so he's blaming the chair. I didn't blame you. I just said the chair is not kept in the proper position. Why are the dishes not washed? He doesn't love me. That's why he's finding fault with me. It's nothing to do with that. For men, you don't look at it personally. And that's why with women, you've got to understand that men will not relate at a personal level. They look at everything as a problem that needs to be solved. You go to a shop to buy a shirt. I go and see, I decide. I want a blue shirt. I'll tell you my size, eh? but it's not for you to buy me a shirt. Okay. <laughs> size 44. I want a blue shirt, loose fitting, plain. I just go there and say, can I have that please? 44? Right, let's go. Wait, wait, wait. My wife will say, wait, wait, wait. Try it on. Okay. Try it. How does it feel? What do you mean feel? What's it got to do with feeling? I've got nothing to do with feeling. I'm just comfortable wearing it. No, check it here. Does it feel good here? Does it feel... Women deal with everything like that. Men don't. Okay? That's because man started off doing a job. But the other important thing that we have there is simply this. Both important for men and women. Men, before you get a wife, get a job. That's what God did. He gave a job to Adam. He said, get good at the job. After you are good at it, then I'll give you the wife. You don't have a job, don't even look about her searching for a wife. She is not your meal ticket. Women, you are interested in some guy, he doesn't have a job, ask him to get the job first before he gets you. No job, no man. Sorry, no job, no wife. Okay, that's the way it's got to be. Okay, so that's godly principle. So that's the difference, one major difference that we have. Okay. Ah, where is this going now? Yeah. Okay, so that's where we were. That's what we were looking at. Genesis 21 to 23. Genesis 2, 21 to 23 is about Eve coming into the picture. And of course, Adam leaves his work and then goes after the woman. Okay. (laughs) So you see, women need to talk on everything. There's a problem. She needs to talk about it. Call the friends. Your son has got fever. Call everybody. Fever was started two days back. Went up by half a degree yesterday morning, two degrees today morning. The whole thing has to be discussed. It's a therapy session. Everybody's got to talk about it. Okay? Women can't solve a problem without talking about it. They've got to involve people. You can't get the people around you. WhatsApp it. Facebook it. Put it on every WhatsApp channel that you have. I don't know. Okay? It needs to go. And I need to hear answers. I, need, I feel good. Okay? That's women. That's the way they do it. Because women often do things by feelings, while men do things by logical planning. Because men's have been, men have been made up like that. So we have a, men have a failing because we don't actually have an empathetic feeling attitude. Because we haven't developed that. And that is why God said, you need women. Because you may be a diamond, but you're a very rough diamond. In order to smoothen you, to make you Christ-like, 
You need to develop the character of patience. You need to develop the character of humility. You need to develop the character of goodness. You need to develop the character of honesty. You need a woman. Without, the, without a woman, you are not going to develop these characters. Okay, so men, look at your wives and say, thank you, because you are developing me into the diamond that I'm meant to be. Okay, otherwise you're going to be a pretty rough piece of black carbon. All right, so I've told you the example of uh, shopping for a shirt. You know, I just picked this up on the net a couple of years back. The mission was to go and buy from the shop called Gap a pair of pants. The man goes in, that's a blue line, sees the shop, buys it, comes out, takes six minutes. He spends $33. The woman enters the same shopping mall. She sees the shop, but doesn't go there because she goes to every other shop before she enters into Gap. It takes her three hours, 30, 26 minutes, and she spends $876 to get that same pair of pants. So men, when you go shopping with your wife, if your wife pulls you from shop to shop, bear with it. Have your purses full of money. You're going to lose it. And women, if your husband goes shopping and he comes out in two minutes, don't be surprised. He's done the job. Did he, did he look at options? Did he look at something else? No, he didn't. Because his mind is unifocused. I want a pant, I'm going for a pant. That's all. Did you see that there was a, a sale going on and they're selling some, uh, something which we could use at home? Oh, I didn't even realize that. Because I went in with just one focus. And that focus is to go get the pant and get out. That's it. Problem solving. You give a problem to a man, he will actually start thinking about it by himself. For women, I told you they get the gang together. They need to talk about it. Okay? It's a group discussion. A man will think about it and try to solve it. They may both get the solution. Now listen, I'm not saying that women don't get the solution. They get the solution. Men get the solution. The ways are different. Okay, but women... Don't ask your husbands, why don't you talk about the problem? It's not in man to talk about the problem. God give him, gave him tasks to do, and he didn't have anybody to discuss it with. He did it. So he's developed, we have developed that character. Men have developed that character of looking at the problem, trying to solve it. Women, men, we need to understand this. Women are relationship oriented. And therefore, if there's a problem, they will take the problem, talk about it, relate it with others, get the feedback from a few or half a dozen people, and then come with the same solution. Okay, it might even be a better solution, but the, it gets done. But that's the way we are. But the important thing for us to recognize as husbands and wives is this particular character at home. If there's a problem, let's assume that the man comes back from office and the wife tells him there's a problem. And he says, okay, what's the problem? And she starts telling him the problem. And when a woman tells you the problem, she doesn't get to the problem. She has to give you the history of the problem. She has to give you the environment of the problem. And you get the full picture. So she starts and she tells you and tells you and tells you. And within five minutes you've got the problem. You have understood the problem because your logical mind is only looking at the problem. You are putting away all the red herrings and you are looking at the problem. And then you tell her, I've got the solution. She said, I haven't even got to the problem. <laughs> yeah, but I've got the solution. You know what, what happens then to a woman? She says, he doesn't want to listen to me. I'm talking to him, he's not listening to me. So then the man recognized, oops, I made a mistake. Okay, okay, tell me the problem. Right, we start with the history again. Okay, she goes back. Okay, better listen. And she talks and talks and talks. And the man says, 
Okay, here's the solution. She's gone beyond the problem now, so he says, here's the solution. She says, no, but I haven't given you the full picture. So man said, I've already given you the solution to the problem. No, but you haven't heard the full picture. So man says, okay, now I better withdraw, because I've got to think of this a little differently. So man withdraws. And the woman immediately thinks, you're not listening to me. Why do you look so distant? The issue is the man is trying to solve your problem. And the way he does it is by sitting by himself and trying to solve the problem. So the woman thinks, you are withdrawing from me. You don't love me. You don't care for me. You don't want to listen to the problem. No, 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 I've got the thing. You didn't want my first solution, so I'm giving you a second solution. I'm thinking about it. No. You see, so men tend to withdraw into a problem before they come out with the answer. Women tend to straight away get to the problem, discuss it, talk about it, and then try to come with the solution. Remember, men, very often, when a woman comes to you with a problem, she's already got an answer. She's not looking to you for an answer. Let us not, let us not pride ourselves that women, women are looking at us for an answer. No, no, no. They have the answer. They just want you to listen. So listen. Pull up your comfortable couch, sofa, whatever. Switch off the TV. Put your cell phone away. Because all these things can hurt her. Listen. You don't have to say anything. At the end of it, you say, yeah, fine. Do you have a solution? Yeah, I've got a solution. Tell me your solution. She tells you a solution. Wow, that's great. Job done. No conflict. Okay? So problem solving. But now, these were the differences that were there from the beginning of time. But the problem is, new characteristics started developing. Okay, because Satan would not keep quiet. So if you go to Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, what do you get? The serpent was the shrewdest of all wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit of any of the trees of the garden? So the woman says, of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat, not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. That's not what God said. If you want to know what God said, it's there in Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17. He said, you shall not eat the fruit of this tree. But what did the woman tell Satan? You shall not, God said, you shall not eat the fruit of the tree. You shall not even touch it. Did God say anything about touching it? You see, and this is where the women developed their Attitude of exaggeration. They tend to exaggerate everything. In hospitals, you know, I, I release a hospital secrets once in a while. One of the secrets we have is this. When a woman tells you her complaints, discount 90% of it. It's immaterial. Believe me, it works all the time. 90% of the time, 90% of the complaints discounted. Exaggeration. Where do you have pain? The pain is here. I have pain here, and 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 I have pain. Does she have pain here? She doesn't. She was doing disco dancing that morning only. Huh? She has pain only here. Exaggeration. So that's an attitude which comes at this particular point. You see, you go and buy a sofa. Earlier on, when we went to buy a sofa, we went and bought a sofa and put it in our home. And then my wife says, we need to buy some cushions. What for? The sofa is good enough. The sofa has got cushions in it. No, it will look better if the cushions are there. Okay, buy some cushions, a couple of cushions. And then we need to buy something to put on top of the sofa. Whatever for? Women have the habit of improving everything. Even what God made, even what God said, they want to improve. Okay? 
So that's a habit, that's, that's, that's a character that they developed uh, at that point of time. So women has this habit of needing to improve on everything, to exaggerate on various things. Let's read on a little bit more. Okay. Genesis chapter 3, 6 to 7. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful. That's because Satan said it's nice. Uh, it was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted uh, the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. What happened? Nothing. God said you will die. Nothing happened to her. She did not die. But then what did she do? She gave it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her. The guy was standing right there. Adam was right there. Adam was not somewhere else. Adam was not in Salala when this was happening. Satan gave, was speaking to his wife. And this gentleman is simply silent and is listening to this conversation. He got the instruction from God. You shall not touch it. You shall not eat it. Not touch it. You shall not eat of this tree. He didn't do anything about it. She took it. She ate. Nothing happened. She gave it to him. He ate. And then what happened? At that moment, their eyes were opened. And they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. You see, Adam's task, and that's the task for all men here, is to protect your wife. God's given you the instruction. God gave Adam the instruction to protect his wife. God never gave the instruction directly to Eve. So Eve took the apple and ate it. Nothing happened. She didn't fall. She made a mistake. Adam could have redeemed her. That's why Jesus Christ is called the second Adam. He's the redeemer. Adam could have redeemed her straight away. He didn't do it. Instead, he joined her in sinning. And it is when he ate that their eyes were opened. That's when death came. You see, so Adam failed and we carried that failure. His job was to guide, to guard, to govern. His job was to direct her, to protect her, to correct her. He didn't do it. And very often, men, that's what we are. Things go wrong in our house, we do not do anything to correct. Things go wrong, something that the wife is doing or the, or the children are doing, we don't bother to correct it, we let it go. Aram said. Okay, at the end of the day, a molehill has become a mountain. And then we start crying about it. Okay, and we don't cry about it, we do something else also. To end this segment, and then I'll very quickly go through the other two segments. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 12. Verses 9 to 12. Let's take verses 9 to 12, not just 12. Then the Lord called to man, where are you? Remember, they're naked now, they have sewed some leaves together. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied. You see, this is classic. The man replied. It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. Isn't that what we say at home? Something goes wrong? You are responsible. Why did you let this happen? Children do something wrong? Because of you. What about me? We have developed this habit of passing on the buck. We don't take the responsibility. It, resp it was Adam's responsibility to take care of Eve. It is my responsibility to take care of my wife and my children and my home. But Adam passed the buck. He turned to God and said, it was the woman you gave me who put me into trouble. And we are saying the same thing now. You woman, you entered into my life and all my problems have started. Had I not married you, nothing would have happened. I don't know. You see, the habit of not taking responsibility for ourselves, for our tasks, our roles, our homes, we have failed. 
And thus you see that often sin enters into the home through the gullible nature of the woman and the irresponsible behavior of man. So there are certain basic differences between men and women. Okay? There are, which those differences are God-given differences because he meant us to be different. We are meant to complement each other. We are not meant to be competitive with each other. We are not meant to substitute one another. We are just meant to complement each other. But then with Satan, some unnecessary characteristics got into the picture. So to summarize that section, let me just put it like this. This has again stopped working. I hope it does. Sister, can I just have this moving forward? Okay, the summary of it is simply this. What God took out of man, he never replaced. Therefore, it is not in man to be a woman. What God left in man, he did not put in woman. Therefore, it is not in woman to be a man. That's number one. Number two, men, before God gives you a wife, he gives you a job. And women, before God gives you a husband, he gives him a job. Number three, men often deal with issues impersonally, women deal with issues personally. Men are goal-oriented, mission-oriented, performance-oriented, and result-oriented. Women are relationship-oriented, intimacy-oriented, fellowship-oriented, communication-oriented. Men plan, women feel. Women solve problems by talking about them, men solve problems by withdrawing into themselves. Women try to improve on everything. Men tend to shirk responsibilities. Men are stewards to guide, to guard, to govern, to direct, to protect, to correct. And women are meant to be the recipients of this stewardship. That is the difference between men and women. Okay, I'll just go through it now very quickly. This is something we have done in our home cells, so I'm not going to go too much into it. But what are our roles? Pastor has alluded to some of these roles of men, of husbands and wives in a godly home. Okay, very quickly I'll just tell you what some of them are. Can I go to the next slide, brother? Right. It's an umbrella situation. Christ is the head. Then comes the husband. Then comes the wife. And the foundation is again Christ. Okay, that's the way a godly home has got to be. The role model for the man is Jesus Christ. His authority, his servant leadership, and his love. That's our role model for men. For women, the role model is not the man. The role model is Jesus Christ. His submission to the Father and his expectation of the church. So men and women, our role model has got to be Jesus Christ. The different characteristics of Jesus Christ, right? Okay, this is too small for you to see, but it's just mentioning the roles of the husbands. And actually I would go on to the, uh, this, this one, which is... Okay, this is called the Ten Commandments for men. And you have the Ten Commandments for women also. And I'll try to read a few of those things. Thou shalt not take... This is Ten Commandments for husbands. Thou shalt not take thy wife for granted, but will honor and respect her as thy equal. Thy highest allegiance, except God, shall be to thy wife, not to thy relatives and friends. Thou shalt frequently tell thy wife how important and valuable she is to thee. Thou shalt hold thy wife's love by the same means thou hast won it. Thou shalt actively establish family discipline with thy wife's help. Remember to do all the little things for thy wife when you say you will. Keep thine eyes on thine own wife, not thy neighbor's. Thou shalt make every effort to see things from your wife's point of view. Thou shalt not be stingy with thy wife when it comes to money. Thou shalt love thy wife, thy own wife, all the days of thy life. And for women, equally interesting, Ten Commandments, 
Expect not thy husband to give as many luxuries as thy father. <laughs> thou shalt work hard to build thy house with the husband that you have, not fantasizing about one that could have been. Thou shalt not nag. Thou shalt coddle thy husband and be a warm wife. Remember that the frank approval of thy husband is more than the side glances of many strangers. Thou shalt not yell at thy husband, but be a gentle and quiet spirit. Permit no one to assure you that you are having a hard time of it. Take and mind your own business. Thou shalt not fail to dress up for thy husband with an eye to please him, as thou didst before marriage. Thou shalt submit to thy husband from thy heart and allow him to be the head of the household. And, very important, thou shalt assure thy husband and others that he is the greatest man alive. I will leave the next set with you. I won't go into the details of it. I'll just mention a few things. We could discuss them later. I'm sure they'll come up during the question time also. Conflicts in marriage is a big issue. We're just going to look at very few things. Okay, all marriages have their ups and downs. Why? Because we are flesh and blood. We do not have complete knowledge of everything. We are individuals with likes and dislikes. And we carry a historical baggage into our marriages. Okay, whatever we have had for the 20 years when we were alone, we carry that into our marriage, so does the wife. Okay? So the genesis is this. We have differing objectives in marriage. And therefore we take differing paths. And when we do that, we hurt each other. We have hurtful behavior. And the way to solve that is by communication. We start talking. We talk to each other. Communication is absolutely important. Communication with understanding is absolutely important in marriage. Then you work together. Your objectives are achieved. Okay, that's the way a marriage has got to go. Okay. The differing objectives in marriage could be based on uh, what's a biblical perspective or what you yourself come to your marriage with. You have different points of view. That can lead to conflicts. Improper communi communication, I'm not going into the references now, but you don't talk to each other, you talk different languages with each other, your understanding is different. Financial disagreements, okay, where does the money go, how is the money to be used, what do we do with the money, what is the transparency level between husbands and wives, what is the sharing pattern between husbands and wives, what is the distribution pattern of the money that is there in the family household. Differing viewpoints. We are human beings. We have opinions. We don't let these become conflicts. Okay. Addiction. Huge problem. Addiction to work, to alcohol, to drugs, and today, pornography. Social media. It's an addiction. I will challenge you. If you can t keep, keep your hands off your phone, for one full day. I want to see that. It's an addiction. Believe me. You are sick. Addiction is illness. If somebody is addicted to a drug, they go to a hospital for treatment. Addiction to social media is an illness. It's nothing less than that. Okay? The dominating spouses. You cannot be a dominating spouse in a marriage. It's a give and take relationship. Sexual dissatisfaction and adultery. You've got to be there for each other. Not look around. This is your God-given spouse. Delayed blessings, including barrenness. Okay, God has a time. Just keep persevering in prayer. Your blessings will come. Okay. These are some of the signs that you could see. Communication breaks down. You get a feeling of insecurity. There's a lack of feeling of confidence in your spouse. Outsiders start influencing and uh, interfering in your lifestyle. You have an unforgiving attitude. These are all signs that your marriage is breaking down. You start doing individual planning. 
and you take each other for granted. I don't care whether he comes, whether he doesn't come. I'm on my own. Okay. How do you solve this problem? Number one is pray. Trust God first and foremost. You will have to pray about it. And the solution is push and pull. Pray until something happens. Pray until the Lord listens. Know, accept and adjust your differences. Defeat selfishness. Pursue the interests of your spouse. Learn to forgive. Communicate lovingly, not confrontationally. Return blessings for insults. Where you have been insulted, give back blessings. Seek godly counsel where required. Never, ever mention divorce or separation in a godly marriage. Those two words should not be there in your dictionary. Brothers and sisters, have a blessed home. Just, just take a moment to close this session with a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have ministered unto us, Lord Father. We pray, Lord, that even as we look into your word, you will continue to guide us, lead us, mentor us to build godly homes. To be the kind of men and women you want us to be. Father God, we ask that you be with every one of us here, Lord Father. We commit the rest of the time into your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.